I want to take a minute, no, literally 60 seconds, to talk to you about the next big thing in at-home fitness. It's called Tonal. As you know from listening to Girl Boss Radio, I've been using Tonal, and it's a really amazing workout. I don't know about you, but usually I always hear that cardio is the thing to focus on, but the reality is that strength training is one of the best ways to get healthy. It helps increase balance, flexibility, and promote better mental health. That's why Tonal is so exciting. It's an at-home strength training device that's like an entire gym combined with a virtual personal trainer. It has adjustable arms so it can replicate all your favorite machines at the gym. It has a touchscreen built in so you can get guidance from expert coaches and it can produce up to 200 pounds of resistance. Tonal's digital weights track your progress and automatically update the resistance for every movement. Plus, Tonal has guided workouts as short as 10 minutes or as long as 60 so you can sweat on any schedule. You can try Tonal risk-free for 30 days, and if you act now, Girlboss Radio listeners get $100 off your purchase of Tonal. To get started on strength training and a more complete workout, visit www.tonal.com and use promo code GIRLBOSS. That's T-O-N-A-L.com and promo code GIRLBOSS. Hi, I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and this is Girlboss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. All right, in full transparency, our guest for today's show is someone who is an investor in Girlboss, but more than that, she's someone whom I love chatting with whenever I can because she's so sharp and so knowledgeable about investing and about all the ways that workplaces are changing. We work from home on Fridays here at Girl Boss. It's awesome. We use Slack, we use Zoom, we use all of these incredible tools for productivity and to stay connected all the time, and it works. And Brianne is also an angel investor and advisor based in San Francisco, has been named one of the top angel investors that every startup should know by Business Insider. So I'm excited to talk to her a little bit about what the future of work means for all of us. Brianne Kimmel is the founder of Work Life Ventures. Work Life is a VC fund that invests in tools and services for people at work. Brienne also helps startups with their go-to-market strategy, which we talk about a little bit later in the show. And Brienne is also an angel investor and advisor based in San Francisco, where she has been named one of the top angel investors that every startup should know by Business Insider. Here's a little bit of what Brienne shared during our discussion. One of the things that I help companies determine is like, is the technology going to be adopted best at a smaller or medium-sized company where you can move a lot quicker, you can have you know, a larger um, customer base, and it ends up being a very different type of go-to-market? Or do you want to develop like a very specific type of program or strategy where you can immediately sell to these like really large businesses? Stay tuned for my chat with Brianne. We talk all about why she studied journalism and how she broke into the startup world, even though she didn't have a traditional background. She also gives some great advice on how we can all network better and leverage the connections we make to open doors.
Brianne, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thanks so much for having me. It's really nice to have you here. Any time I get to have with you is always super illuminating and enjoyable. And you're one of our investors, full disclosure. Yes. Um, and so we're, we're so lucky to have you. Um, you're building something called Work Life Ventures, which is very much, we are in your wheelhouse. Um, you know, you're focusing on the future of work. Uh, we're also having an AMA with you on the 31st of October. Halloween, you guys, get ready. It's going to be a spooky conversation. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but you've had a variety of experiences. You know, you started out, you did some social media, you were part of a Y Combinator batch, which is just so cool. Like, I want that on my resume. You've taught at General Assembly, you did growth at Zendesk. But I want to start at the beginning. What was your first job? Yeah, well, the first job is really interesting. Uh, I'll actually start with how I got there. So I had um, started college when I was 17. So I did this program where I started taking full-time classes when I was a junior in high school. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, Youngstown, middle of nowhere. And for me, um, I had spent some time in Sydney uh, when I was an undergrad. And then myself and my best friend uh, decided to move there shortly after college graduation. Uh, no job, one suitcase, let's just go and try it out. Uh, so I lived at Bondi Beach, um, which was an amazing experience. And uh, fortunately for myself and, and, and for my parents as well, uh, I ended up at Expedia. So I, uh, I started out in more of a performance marketing role. Um, that then grew into head of social media. Uh, so I, that was everything from customer support, which is how I got into the Zendesk experience later, social media, so worked on some early influencer campaigns, um, which has now been great because I've been able to build relationships with people like Steph Gilmore, who's a professional surfer, um, got to spend time with designers like Sass and Bide and Zimmerman and a lot Aww. of these like great Australian designers great who have now Australian just blown designers. up. Yeah. And it was it was amazing to see like I think that there's something to be said for moving somewhere or starting something with no certainty. It really forced me to not only make friends find the right job like it really like forced me to go out on my own in a way that you know not everyone has to move overseas but I felt like and actually just like uprooting myself and going somewhere cool I learned a lot about myself would you consider yourself an extrovert I would actually identify maybe as an introvert you know having grown up in northeast Ohio having start started school early I was just like ready to break out and I think a lot of people do that in different ways like there's sort of this dream of like Growing up and moving to New York or going to L.A. if you if you're interested in film and entertainment, I think for me it was just a great chance to say like I want to try living overseas. I want to kind of you know have my create my own path. Um, I actually had started a company when I was there, which was a professional network. Hmm. Uh, so I started a young professionals group, uh, which I you know very uh, you know simply called it Sydney Young Professionals. Uh, you'll find that my uh, my ability to name things is actually pretty tactical and, and boring. <laughs> yeah, we talked we talked about the name of work life ventures. Yeah, for sure. I wanted you to call it out of office, <laughs> but I think that's the opposite of what you're trying to call. Totally, totally. Yeah. So I built this professional network. Uh, it was a mix of online and IRL. The IRL piece was really interesting because at the time I was teaching classes at General Assembly in Sydney. I was getting more and more involved in the startup scene there. And then I noticed this disconnect where companies like Facebook and Google and, uh, you know, early days of Airbnb, they were starting to hire people, 
you know, these small regional offices, maybe five to 10 people, but they were outside of HQ. So the idea was to build this community where I could bring speakers from Silicon Valley. I could, you know, create this shared sense of community where if you're part of like a one to five person team at a Dropbox or an Airbnb or, you know, Google was getting larger and larger and kind of taking up more real estate in the city, then we could create this community where it'd be young professionals who would get together, learn more about each other, find strategic partnerships. And I felt like that was a really good way to not only build community in a new country, but it also forced me to be more of an extrovert. So your first, first job, there was no crappy high school jobs? There were... Oh yeah, for sure. There were there I want were, the first crappy. There were there were there were crappy jobs along the way. I actually had worked at a gym. So I remember when I was younger, um, you know, I loved playing sports, I loved running track. I also was like too poor to pay for my own gym membership. So I ended up working at this gym, which was like the one place where I could also like study slash work. So I was like the front desk girl. Like a co-working space. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gyms are the new co-working spaces. It was like, I wanted to go to Equinox, but I was too poor for Equinox. So they'd let me work there and I'd like sit behind the front desk. Was there anything you learned from behind that front desk that, you know, other than like hacking a co-working space and getting a free <laughs> gym membership that you use today in your career? Oh yeah, for sure. I think like the one thing that's interesting with these sort of roles, like whether it's working at a restaurant, whether it's working at a gym, I think any sort of service industry is such a good foundation for life skills later on. And I think that's something that I see, especially today as an investor, where a lot of the businesses that I'm looking at, um, you know, provide a service to other people, whether that's Airbnb, Uber. Um, I recently invested in a platform for bartenders. And it's one of these things where like a lot of these jobs are really hard. And, you know, the everyday person is looking for new ways to make just a little bit more money. So I think having that service mindset and like coming from that background, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Like I know with with your story in San Francisco, it's so powerful because like when you walk into a building you're like oh yeah I've like sat at the front desk before I've like checked people in and that's like a real yeah. human experience I am um, so I what was I telling you about my visit to code advisors so is that where yeah so I was in San Francisco recently and had a meeting uh, with someone I know pretty well Quincy Smith who runs something called code advisors he helps people get investments and sell their companies he was at my wedding years ago and it was actually my first time as an office. I've had dinner with him, Simonelli, whatever. And I walk up to the building, and it's like a block from the Academy of Art University where my last job was in the lobby checking student IDs. And I used to walk over. This building has like a big open lobby that anybody can just go sit in. There's like cafe tables. It's really unique in that it's just anybody, it's like an indoor park almost where it's just there's no actual cafe in there you can just walk in there and eat your lunch so I'd go in there with my steamed fish or whatever I get from the Asian restaurant next door to the Academy of Art and sit with my boyfriend at the time and just you know it's like what do all these people do they're professionals this is a big office building and I was like I didn't even know there was an elevator in that building and then I walked in and I got in the elevator and I went to the like 22nd floor and I got kind of teary-eyed and I was like it's like entering Narnia or a whole nother world that like you didn't even know existed, a landscape, like another dimension um, when you find yourself in places that you never thought you'd be. And it's not really even an indication of success. It's just like, wow, like the ghost of me is in this building like and like I'm still existing here. But so much has changed. And it was a little bit nostalgic for my fish, my steamed fish and my 
Starbucks chais. But anyway, back to you. <laughs> so were you always an overachiever? Because I've heard that you're, you were graduated in the top 1% of your class at Kent State. And you studied journalism, which is really interesting given the field you've gone into and your career trajectory. So tell me about your educational experience and why journalism? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. In hindsight, there's been moments in my career where I've been a little bit jealous or embarrassed of having a journalism degree. I think there's been times where it's like, as I've moved further and further into finance, or even I would say, you know, there are certain aspects of Silicon Valley where you're sitting at a dinner and it's like, everyone's Ivy League educated. Everyone knew they wanted to like start a billion dollar company or get into venture. And I think for me, you know, when I was 17 years old, starting college, like had never heard of venture capital maybe had heard of startups or I've seen, you know, large tech companies and had no idea how they got started. So it's been an interesting path. And really, I feel like the last even five years or so, like there's been such a shift in terms of how people think about journalism. Like, I think we've entered a world now where everyone is their own reporter and their own journalist. And I have seen so many great people, especially through Girlboss, who have just taken like a very specific beat. They've chosen a topic that they're really excited about. And if you continuously keep publishing on social media or if you start speaking at conferences, like it's so crazy to see how quickly um, you can become an expert in basically any topic with modern society. And I think some, that's something that I've really thought about a lot with, with work life because I think there's a lot of re-education to be done on the future of work. Like, it's a topic that people will talk about. You know, you can read, like, a McKinsey report on the future of work and, like, what does that mean? Or you can hear um, people talking about, from a political standpoint, automation and all of these, like, scary things that are happening in the world. But if you kind of zoom out and look at, you know, the great, the great tech companies that have been started over the past 10 years, a lot of them touch the future of work. Like, being an Uber driver is a really, it's a great consumer experience, but for individuals who wanted a little bit of extra money or, or now do it full time, like that's like a life changing opportunity. So I'm pretty excited to like reimagine what work looks like. And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about like what that means with my, with my background as a journalist. I think there's a, there's now a time where, you know, I, as an investor, have the ability to write checks, but in order to write checks, I do spend time on the problem that you're solving, who else is building something in this space, and there's been a lot of moments where I think having that that background in journalism has been really helpful in terms of how I approach investing. So you're glad you went to college? Totally. Happy I went to college. Actually happy that I didn't study finance. I think that having the background in journalism gave me a very different edge. Um, I think especially um, when you look at, at sort of the the VC landscape, you know, there's no shortage of people who, people are going to hate, hate me saying this, but there's no shortage of people who have worked at Goldman Sachs, who have done the traditional finance, who have done that, like, let's go from A to B to C to D. And I think even the best entrepreneurs that I meet, they have non-traditional backgrounds. They didn't go to school. They, you know, have no true like qualifications on what they're building, but they have this passion and conviction that like they're just going to be unstoppable. Most deodorants we use every day contain harmful products that have proven links to cancer. Not Hug Me Deodorant by Bloom. It's an all-natural, safe, and sustainable deodorant. Here's how it works. 
Hug Me Deodorant by Bloom, that's B-L-U-M-E, is made with probiotics. The probiotics encourage your body to make more good bacteria, and as a result, your body produces less bad bacteria, so B-O doesn't exist. Mainstream antiperspirants contain aluminum, which get absorbed into our bloodstream and has been linked to cancer. But Bloom is all natural, and it's rated the best deodorant ever by the New York Post. Plus, you can try Hug Me risk-free. There's a 30-day satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Hug Me by Bloom keeps you feeling fresh and super huggable. Right now, our listeners will get 25% off their first stick and free shipping when you text NATURAL to 64000. This is a special offer you can't get anywhere else, and you support our show when you support our sponsors. So text NATURAL to 64000 to get 25% off your first stick of Hug Me deodorant. And if you don't love it and feel amazing when you wear it, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. Text N-A-T-U-R-A-L to 64,000. So before we get into the future of work, because I really do want to get into that with you, I want to talk about your time at Zendesk. So you did go-to-market strategy and Mm -hmm. growth marketing there. Just for our audience, what is GTM? Yeah, so when I joined Zendesk, um, the the, so for those of you who don't know, Zendesk is customer support software. Um, If you email... Airbnb, Uber, Stitch Fix, Latote, any of these like great consumer experiences and brands that you buy from today, oftentimes uh, when you have a problem or when you have a question, uh, Zendesk is actually the software that powers that that way for you to communicate with the brand. Um, and when I had joined Zendesk, it had primarily been uh, a self-serve experience. So it was one of these things where um, the majority of people who use the product, they had signed up through the website. It was a lot of like automated emails and that sort of thing. And and the and the, the strategy for how we sold the product to other companies was very much focused on startups, so early stage tech companies. And when I joined, um, I joined in a self-serve role, which then became a broader go-to-market strategy role. And the go-to-market strategy role was essentially, how do we figure out new opportunities for growth? Um, Not necessarily using only technology, but actually starting to build sales teams. Um, At the time, we were actually starting to hire more specialists, so we would have someone who owned the Zendesk experience for retail e-commerce. So you'd hire someone who had previously worked in retail, they would then become an expert on how do we actually build programs and and ways for Stitch Fix, Latote, Peloton is a great example. Like how do we actually help these brands communicate with their customers in a more effective way? Um, which that that problem is actually really complicated. If you think about a business like Peloton, Peloton has not only the hardware piece. So it's like, is my bike going to be delivered on time? You know, is uh, the bike going to actually fit in my small New York size apartment or, you know, this like small apartment that I have in the Bay Area? And uh, there's a lot of questions that you have around the product. Uh, There's also a lot of questions and, you know, things that come up from a technology standpoint because you have, you know, a lot of content, you have a lot of um, talent and people that are actually like the instructors of the classes. And then the third piece is is one that I spent some time on is really understanding like what is Peloton's um, IRL experience. So they had launched, um, you know, kind of a a countrywide tour um, where you could test the bikes in person. Then there was the brick and mortar locations. So when you think about that from a customer point of view, 
Um, there are just a lot of things that a company like Peloton has to get right in order to deliver a really good customer experience. So go to market for those of us who have a smaller business than Stitch Fix, which is now a public company. What are the elements of a go to market strategy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, typically, uh, I work with really early stage companies. So oftentimes, it could be uh, a solo entrepreneur all the way to uh, you know maybe three or four people. And in the early days of company building, um, you know there are some core fundamentals you have to get right. I think today it's starting with your website and starting with you know early user research, really identifying who, what problem are we solving and who are we solving this problem for. Um, you know when it, when you think about early stage companies, especially startups, startups oftentimes have this question of are we creating a product and we're solving a problem for something we experienced? So we're going to actually build something that we want to sell to other startups, um, and that's something where um, you know if you if you're an early stage company and you're going through a program like Y Combinator, which you mentioned, um, the great thing about a program like YC is you have this long list of alumni companies and, and companies that are currently going through this education program with you, and you can just start selling to them. It's like here's our customer list. We're just going to start selling to every other company that goes through YC. You know, if you choose to sell a product or service um, inside of a large company like a Fortune 500, like a Stitch Fix, oftentimes that comes with a lot of approvals, and you need to have a lot more processes. So, one of the things that I help companies determine is like, is the technology going to be adopted? Best at a smaller or medium-sized company where you can move a lot quicker. You can have you know a larger um, customer base, and it ends up being a very different type of go-to-market. Or do you want to develop like a very specific type of program or strategy where you can immediately sell to these like really large businesses? So you're talking specifically to people who are building SaaS enterprise businesses, which means businesses helping other building software that help other businesses, right? Where your end user is either a small business, a solopreneur, someone who is building a business or their career, right? Yeah. That's so, primarily that's primarily been um, my background. I think one thing that's different with work life that I'm really excited about is um, we're starting to see now where a lot of the best technologies and the, the productivity tools and creative tools and the things that we're using on a daily basis, a lot of them are actually things that we try on evenings and weekends. So um, I know when you and I first met, we were talking about Airtable and Dropbox and like all these different tools that we technically pay out of pocket for. Um, and you might use it personally, you might use it you know, professionally, but I think there's just so much happening right now in sort of the creative landscape where you have so many people that are exploring starting a podcast or learning to how to do graphic design on your free time. I think that one of the things that I'm really excited about is like this generation is so incredibly motivated, both personally and professionally, and I think those lines are getting quickly blurred. Where it's like we're constantly striving to to learn more, to try more, to professionally, you know, create more. And I think like that creative execution is something that is really quite different for this generation. I feel like, you know, previously you had to go to school, you had to study something. There were like all these restrictions for like how do you break into an industry? And then now it's just like anyone can start something, anyone can be a journalist, get anyone an, can start a podcast. Get an eBay store. Yeah, start exactly. <laughs> so well, and I think it's interesting, too, because what I'm seeing now is there's, like, first came eBay and Etsy, 
and these sort of like broad platforms for any type of to sell any type of good. Now I'm actually seeing new technologies where you know if you have followers or if you're an indie creator, like you can start your own jewelry line if you want. You could start your own sneaker brand. Um, you could start basically anything, and there are these new platforms and these like crazy creative entrepreneurs that are basically developing tools to help anyone start something. What are some examples of those specific kind of like if I'm a creator or an artist online, where can I go to help build my brand? Yeah, it, it's interesting to see. I think right now um, there's a few things that are happening. There's sort of this ability to create new types of businesses or new sort of manifestations of your personal brand. Um, there's a company that I really like called Pietra. They're based in New York. Um, it's a platform for anyone to launch their own jewelry line. And you're like, jewelry is such an interesting thing because it's something you wear on a daily basis. It has a lot of like sentimental meaning. And it's one of these things where I think a lot of uh, a lot of the accounts that I follow on Instagram that I'm really excited about are these jewelers that learned jewelry design in their free time. They've built their entire brand using Instagram. You know, it's it's become this thing where if you're creative and you have that aesthetic, there should be a platform that helps you kind of turnkey launch your own jewelry line. Yeah, Jen Meyer was just on our podcast last week, and that's exactly her story. She she wasn't a trained jewelry designer. She figured it out. And there's so many of us who are doing that now. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think like Ani Bing is a great example as well, where when I think about modern fashion, I think of her first. Because, you know, her ability to have this like really professional but still edgy aesthetic it's like blurring the lines between like corporate wear and things you can wear if you're speaking at a conference, but also it's like really badass if you want to wear it to a concert at night. And I think like seeing her blow up on Instagram and seeing all of the great work she's done on social media, I think that, you know, that's a really good example where you can have a Jen Meyer, you can have an Annie Bing, you can have these women who are so talented and so creative basically start whatever type of business they want using using things like Instagram. So I use the word sass, and I'm not talking about like talking back to me. Please, <laughs> please don't while we're on this podcast. Um, I'm the sassy one. Just kidding. What can you tell us what sass is? Oh, break my God. It, I would love to. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, sass is uh, historically software as a service. Uh, it has primarily been business applications. So it's like, these are the this is the technology you use at work. These are the tools that on the first day, your boss is like, these are the things we need you to use. It might be, you know, the service you use to send emails. It might be, you know, different types of analytics and products that you use every day. But essentially, SaaS is all of the tools that touch uh, the workplace. Now, what I love about this sort of next generation of SaaS is that a lot of these tools, and especially a lot of the high growth ones, are ones that people want to use. I call it, it's basically like hype beast SaaS. You're like, there are these products that people will tweet about. They're ones that are limited release. You have to request an invite. Things like superhuman. But um, it's crazy to see just how broad you know the SaaS landscape has become because it's everything from like, technology and tools to start your own direct consumer brand all the way to like how do I send emails on a daily basis and like this is a tool that I spend most of my day using. 
The most important time is now. For small business owners, being plugged in and prepared when an opportunity comes up is crucial. And having a business card ready to hand out is the first step to making something happen. So for just 10 bucks, Vistaprint gives you 500 personalized cards with exactly the look you want. Vistaprint was where I got my first business cards when I was doing Nasty Gal. I designed them myself. They had rounded edges. They were really beautiful. And you can choose the colors, fonts, designs, images. You can create something as unique and compelling as I know your business is. So you can plug your information and logo into hundreds of fresh designs tailored to your type of company or upload your original layout. Pick the paper stock, style, quantity that's right for you, and you can even upgrade to a unique touch like rounded corners. Choose your delivery speed, order and receive your cards in as few as three days, and your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or your money back. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why our listeners will get free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity. Just go to vistaprint.com and enter promo code GIRLBOSS for free shipping on all business cards, any style, any quantity. Limited time offer. Own the now at vistaprint.com, promo code GIRLBOSS. You support our show when you support our sponsors. The future of work is changing. We've talked a little bit about that. How do you think the future of work is changing for women? Great question. Um, There's been a lot of research that's come out lately. I mean, women are outperforming men in school. So I think that we are starting to see a world where, you know, the girls that grew up being told to study hard, work hard, follow the rules, like we're actually starting to see that we're outperforming men in school you know, we're landing great jobs. We're staying in the workforce longer. Um, you know, one thing that I've been watching closely is even like uh, career longevity and the way that think people think about, um, you know, having kids. Like more women are freezing their eggs. I know at the Girl Boss Rally, you know, Whitney Cummings said like that's one thing to do. Like that is your insurance policy. So I think we have as we have like women doing well in school, we're waiting longer to get married. We're waiting longer to have kids. You just start to see this career trajectory that women haven't had in previous generations. And I think that can be tough. You know, your fund is called Work Life Ventures and that the, the word life is in there. Yep. And we're talking about products that support us in our work. What do you think about the intersection of work and life? How do you think about that for yourself? Like, where does work end and life begin? Yeah, I I think about this a lot. And I think about it, especially around things like employee burnout and, you know, what it actually takes to, you know, start a company. I think, like, I spend most of my time with solo entrepreneurs, you know, two co-founders, maybe a team that's like at max five people. And when you're in those early days of your company, there kind of isn't a balance. Unfortunately, like, well, unfortunately, it can be very time consuming. Fortunately, you're working on something that you really care about. Um, I recently read a job post that I thought was amazing where, you know, it were it happened to be two male co-founders. They're looking for uh the third person to join the team, uh, hopefully a female. So that's something that they are, are actively speaking to. And, uh, you know, the job post said, like, we are solving this really tough problem. We are very passionate about it. We sometimes work on evenings and weekends because, like, that's that's when we like to work. However, like, we want to offer flexibility and, like, you can choose your own schedule. So I think we are starting to see, um, you know, I think there's a lot of broader conversations happening around mental health, around employee burnout. You know, I'm very excited about remote work and distributed teams. 
Um, the one thing that I hear a lot from companies that have a work from home culture, it's a great way for you to reduce your commute time. It's a great way to spend more time with your family. It's creating a more inclusive workforce where if you need to take some extra time, if you need to work from home, like companies are actually being a lot more thoughtful in the way that they treat their employees. We work from home on Fridays. And that's a great day to catch up. And we like, have for a really long time. And it's just, it's really nice. I'm able to focus so much more. I just like have a bunch of phone calls. If I need to have a meeting, I just do it out of the office. People want to use the office and they don't want to work at home. That's okay too. But you, most of us work from home and it's, it's a big deal. Like that, that would have been something that was, that would, that would have been hard at like a retail business where, you know, you're almost like have to be open all day and there's customer service and, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've dealt with and it's really a luxury that we're able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I'm seeing more too. I think that um, the grass is always greener because you'll talk to individuals who are working inside of a medium to large company and they're like, wow, I just really want to break out and start freelancing. And then, you know, if you are a freelancer or especially if you talk to, you know, a lot of our friends in L.A., then the question is like, oh, wow, do I have enough projects to actually, you know, make ends meet? How do I think about like personal finances? Because it might take a large company a little bit of time before I actually get paid. So there's so many questions. Like when I think about work life, I think a lot about, yes, the tools and services that make the workplace a better place. But also there's a lot of work to be done around financial education and you know, there's how does work life actually touch, you know, mental health and physical well-being? I think there's a lot of things that, you know, it feels very early in a lot of these conversations. Like I know Sally Krawcheck um, from Elvis, like she is such an amazing example of someone who is educating women on like it's fine to actually buy a three dollar coffee. Like I think we've been taught over the years, save money, don't go out. Like three dollars. Do you, where do you live in the Ohio? What are you talking about? <laughs> I know, down the street, it's like, like, what, six? Yeah, $3 is like half off, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like all these things, it's like women are taught to like save money, stay home, do these things in order to have like a better sort of financial well-being. But then at the same time, if you talk to our male counterparts, they're the first to go out for an hour and a half long lunch. There's no problem with networking. Like I remember one of my mentors had said to me, like I early in my career was very focused. I wanted to be the first one at the office. I wanted to be the last one to leave. And and she actually sat me down. She's like, look, the uh, the other men on the team, your male counterparts, like they're the first to leave and go to happy hour. She's like, not every not everything that comes professionally actually comes from sitting at your desk. Like a lot of these like non tangibles actually come from being visible. Like I'm a huge believer of you know women having that you know sort of beat in the things that they talk about on social media. Speak at conferences if that's something that you really want to do long term. Like start to be visible and like you actually want to have as much coverage as possible early on. That way you meet great people. You can develop a community and like you know get smart people around you. And I think that's where you start to unlock real you know non-linear growth opportunities in your career. Because I think one of the interesting things now is like when you're taught to study hard, work late, like these like textbook definitions of success, you're actually missing out on opportunities to do something that's a little bit unconventional. Serendipity. Starting something. Yeah, yeah. Those serendipitous encounters are what actually lead to like interesting ways of developing success. So and this is something I learned a little bit late as an introvert. It's easy to be like, well, networking's not for me, but it's important to show face and keep showing face and just like lob yourself back up in the air so people like remember that you exist. You're like, hi, just 
here and it can seem like a waste of time but often it's like people know you're out there that you're building a business that you're fundraising and when I go to a conference you know that's important for me just so people know like yeah I'm taking this seriously I'm not the office right now but these are really important relationships for me to build even if there's like no deal to be made like in this meeting it's relationship building so true I see that a lot too I think especially in certain parts of of sort of the startup and tech ecosystem where we've talked about this before, but there are female engineers who have like 100,000, 500,000, a million followers, and they identify as introverts. They're like, oh, I'm super shy, but I'm really good at what I do. And then they just start sharing blog posts and publishing and like doing these things consistently where it's like you can really break out in a short time frame if you consistently keep like building your personal brand, publishing, like just keep owning your craft and other people will will come to you. You're both an angel investor and a venture capitalist. And for those of us who don't understand, can you tell us the difference between an angel investor and a VC? Yeah, sure. So initially, um, when I was at Zendesk, I had been spending a lot of time meeting startups. So I had friends that were starting companies. I had been teaching those evening classes at General Assembly. And I decided to start angel investing. So as an angel investor, um, I was using my own money uh, to invest in early stage companies, um, both to build the relationship, but also because, you know, as you start to see you meet companies early and they start to blow up, you're like, oh, wow, like I'd love to share in this success with you. So um, I built a track record as an angel. Um, I was an angel investor in a company called Webflow, um, which many of you may we have used. Webflow. I love it. We're subscribers. It's awesome. More, more to come on the culture, too. It's a great team to work for. They just hired their first head of diversity and inclusion. They're thinking a lot about like, Really changing the discussion on like someone being technical versus non-technical, because in theory, like you know, we should all be able to build our own websites, and like that's something that has historically held a lot of women back from starting something is like this inability to code or like the inability to hire if you're based outside of a tech hub. So to have all of these tools available, like it's become so easy in the past even five years to build your own website, to start your own mobile app. Like I'm sure you can speak to that because a lot of these. Tools didn't exist when you started Nasty Gal. No, no, it's it's. Um, I'm very envious. But yeah, graphic designers are on their building websites, which you know are be- way beyond like Squarespace and something that you know our developers are doing on the other side of the room. Um, but this is something where you know it's really exciting for them to be able to build build beautiful sites exactly how they want them to look well and i think back to your point as an angel investor one of the interesting things is like we're we see today more celebrities are angel investors you know i was sort of dipping my toe as an angel as i was working at zendesk and i think oftentimes with angel investing it's a great way to build a network especially if you're an introvert it's like great it's an it's a great excuse for me to meet other investors in the company it's a great way for me to really investigate and learn more about a specific type of company um, but more, and I think like more importantly, one of the interesting things with angel investing is it allowed me to build a track record to become a venture capitalist. So, um, you know, in the past year, I've gone ahead and raised outside money. How much? Uh, so I did a first close on five million, uh, and that came from um, venture capitalists in Silicon Valley: Mark Andreessen, Alexis Ohanian, who is uh, Serena Williams' husband, and girl boss investor. Girl boss investor. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and other great folks in Silicon Valley where because I was in Webflow, because I had invested in a lot of these great startups, that then allowed me to demonstrate that I was capable, that I could get into these companies and invest and add value, and then I was able to start my own fund. 
Hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company, and she knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. And that's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't spend on candidates finding you, it finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss, Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R.com slash G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I hope you're enjoying our conversation with Brianne so far. She is so knowledgeable about what the best tools and new technologies are for creatives and freelancers. And she has tons of advice for everybody who's interested in just being productive and getting more out of their day. If you want the chance to get some advice from Brianne herself, you can do that. You can ask Brianne any questions about the changing nature of work, what the best productivity tools are, and what it's been like building her own venture capital fund. Brianne is hosting our next digital fireside on the girlboss.com professional network. If you haven't joined, please go join now. This is going to be on October 31st. And if you didn't know, well, you know now we have these incredible conversations on girlboss.com where you can ask all sorts of questions to leading experts in fields like marketing, branding, finance, and so much more. So if you want to hear Brianne's advice during our next digital fireside on October 31st, just go to girlboss.com and sign up. It's free and you can log on to the site on October 31st and join the digital fireside with Brianne. And if you're already signed up, we'll send you a nice little reminder that it's happening. Okay, now let's get back to my conversation with Brianne. So you get pitched by entrepreneurs, but you're also pitching people who have a lot of money and you're asking for a lot of money to invest their money. And those are called LPs or limited partners, right? So how do you approach these people and say, listen, I'm starting a fund, give me your money, I'm going to make it into more money? (laughs) Yeah. So that is no easy feat. I will say that... um, You know, for me, I had three things that were working in my favor. I had been teaching classes at General Assembly for about four years. I had over 5,000 students take my class. I then um, spun out the program that I built, and I call it SAS School. So I have this program that I run twice a year. There's like 200 applications per batch, and it's, it's almost like a mini version of YC for a certain type of company. So, and having that sort of coverage and and proving that there have been great, um, you know, startups that have joined previously. So, Webflow being one of them, Superhuman has attended. There's been a few of these like breakout companies that have come to SaaS school, and that's been helpful. Um, the second thing is, uh, you know, I think having a very specific focus and thesis is important. It's one of these things where I love work. I love that people, you know, people spend a third of their lives at work, and I think that a lot of the problems 
you know, that can and should be solved touch the workplace, whether it's like a new way for people to make money, whether it's making the tools that we use at work better, faster, more cost effective. Like I think about this a lot. So I think that passion and conviction is something that helped me raise. Um, And then the third thing is, you know, I had been pretty strategic with the type of network that I wanted to build. So I'm very fortunate to have um, the CEO of Envision, Clark Wahlberg, um, the CEO of Zoom, uh, Eric Wan. I have a number of LPs who are also CEOs. And I think having that sort of credibility um, by association is really important. And I think that's something where, you know, as I... I'm now at a point where I'm starting to mentor women who are younger in their career and and women that are thinking about maybe changing to a new sector. I think that oftentimes women have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for. And oftentimes power can come through association, like the people that you're having dinner with, you know, the company that you're working for. You know, I um, I love that I worked at Zendesk. I think the the interesting thing there is like three Danish founders they move from Denmark to Silicon Valley. They're sort of this underdog success story. And I think that's part of my journey as well, is like by working there, I now have this underdog story. And I also have worked at a company that really thought about diversity and inclusion. And that's been something where, you know, I had worked on building the Women at Zendesk program. I had worked very closely with our head of DNI to build out our first, you know, strategy for getting more women in engineering at the company. So I think in doing those things, then you start to attract like-minded people and like-minded companies. So wrangle influence. It's yes. worth it. Build a network, find influential people, and then wave them around to the other influential people. <laughs> For validation. I do it. We all do it. Hopefully we all do it. If you're listening and you don't do it, you need to do it. So there's a couple questions I ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio. And one of those is what your most recent Girl Boss moment was. And I think you probably know what that is, but it's a time in your most recent history, something that you were just really proud of. So I think that the easy answer there would be, you know, going out with my VC fund. So I think that, you know, for a while I had been operating very quietly. And I think a lot of angel investors do it over dinner or through individuals in your network. I feel like the actual process of going out and asking other people for money was very much a girl boss moment. Not from the sense of like, of of really asking and, and feeling like it was like they're doing me a favor, but to get to the point where I had enough vision and conviction and my idea where I'm like, you know what, people should be really excited to join this. Like I had invested in Webflow, which recently raised a $72 million Series A. Like it's on the path of being like the breakout company. Um, I had invested in this company called Tandem that was one of the hottest companies in the last YC batch. And they're building this tool where essentially you can work from home and have like virtual workspaces. And there have been a few companies where it's like now that I'm starting to get some momentum and build some for some traction, um, you know, you start to get more and more confidence in like what you're working on, your abilities. And I think that's something where early career, I probably didn't have that. You're just like meeting everyone and trying to figure out like, what do I want to do with my life? And then you'll reach this point um, where you're like, wow, I know exactly like what I'm supposed to do in this moment. And you just get to so much conviction and so much passion that you're like, I actually don't care. If you tell me no, that's fine. I'll move on to the next person. But you can actually like, you'll know when you're doing the right thing, when it just it feels right and it feels like, you know, you reach a moment of being unstoppable. And it takes a while to get there. 
right? It does. Well, I think like one thing, um, you know, Dr. Lauren actually coached me on this before I um, before I started fundraising. So she, um, you know, she was at the Girl Boss Rally. And she had this like great uplifting talk and you're like, wow, she has like so much confidence. Like, how do I actually mirror someone like Dr. Lauren? So then I had a conversation with her after and she's like, you know, there are moments in your life where, you know, maybe you you do something. It feels okay. You do something again. It's like, uh, it's okay. But then there'll be these moments where you like do something and you're like, oh, yeah, like that was it. Like that was like my moment. And I felt like fundraising and actually like kind of cheesy but having the like tech crunch piece go live i'm like oh yeah like this is this is it tech crunch is really validating <laughs> um so last question and we only have a little bit of time so let's keep it like surgical what does success mean to you i think success is success is not taking no for an answer i feel like with success you know there are moments where things get hard and I think that success comes when you push just like a little bit further. I'm looking at the heart that says no guts, no glory. And that's like exactly how it is. It's like you get to this point where you could give up, but success is just like right afterward, that moment when you don't. Yeah, thanks. I really needed to hear that. <laughs> I'm not going to give up. Don't worry. Um, Brianne, thank you so much for being here today. This is like one of my favorite conversations today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I want to give a big thank you to Brianne for coming on Girlboss Radio today and being so real about what it's like working in the startup world. If you like what you heard on today's show, go ahead, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. I read all of them and they help other listeners discover our show. And if you're looking for something else to listen to, I hope you take a minute to check out Mentor Memos. It's the latest podcast from Girlboss that we co-developed with our partners at Tresemme. It's hosted by Neha Gandhi, our COO, and she has some incredible conversations with powerhouse women about what true mentorship looks like in today's world. So be sure to check it out. All right, that's it for now. Bye. Bye.